I really think it's actually Elon's most ambitious thing. More than colonizing Mars, because that's just a bunch of people going somewhere, even though it's somewhere far. Neuralink is changing what a person is. Yeah. If, we could, if, if you could do that electronically, where you're not juicing yourself up with amphetamines, but instead you're enhancing all the capabilities of your entire neural network. Yeah. Crazy. Bro, we're going to be robots. We're going to be cyber people. Welcome to Neuropod, where we share updates about the company Neuralink. This Elon Musk-founded company is working on surgical brain implants that will enable humans to talk to each other telepathically and help paralyzed people walk again. Unfortunately, the journey to achieving these goals is not a straight line. The engineering required to make these devices is fraught with challenges. There are also plenty of doubters, skeptics, and people who are genuinely afraid of what could happen with the new tech. This has once again become apparent recently, as numerous headlines have claimed animal abuse and mistreatment at the company. This update episode will start with the allegations being made, then share the highlights of Neuralink's response. Next, we'll have highlights of Lex Friedman's interview with Tim Urban, the creator of the popular website and blog, Wait But Why. After that, we'll talk about an exciting trip that Omar and I recently took to Colonel's company headquarters right outside of Los Angeles, California, which as a reminder, is the brain interface company that Elon once considered joining. Then, we'll share highlights of Joe Rogan's interview with YouTube phenom Mr. Beast, where they ended up chatting about Neuralink quite a bit. We'll also share an update on the potential merging of Tesla, SpaceX, Neuralink, and The Boring Company. There have been several articles published claiming animal mistreatment and abuse at Neuralink and at the University of California at Davis. These publications from Fortune, Business Insider, and the like have gained lots of traction and are dominating the headlines. In addition to going through these media articles, I decided to take a look at the primary source 716-page letter from the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. This letter is addressed to a director at the USDA, or U.S. Department of Agriculture, Plant Health Inspection Service. The letter opens with a request for the USDA to investigate apparent egregious violations of the Animal Welfare Act related to treatment of monkeys used in invasive brain experiments. This letter is off to a great start because Neuralink has never received a citation from the United States Department of Agriculture, inspections of their facilities and animal care program. So that I don't completely bore you to death with the details of the report, the summary of the PCRM's claims is that they say, many if not all the monkeys experienced extreme suffering as a result of inadequate animal care and the highly invasive experimental head implants during the experiments. They mentioned that monkeys were constrained to a chair for up to five hours per day. And based on a quick Google search, it appears that a deep brain stimulation surgery in a human typically takes four hours and sometimes longer. So given that these procedures are new, it's not so abnormal for a monkey to be seated for this time period for this type of surgery. They state that Neuralink deviated from protocol because they used a substance called bioglue without recording the use, which we'll discuss later. They claim animal care negligence, especially for eight monkeys, as some of the monkeys demonstrated symptoms of depression or bloody stool or infection near the site of implantation. And the concluding statement says, The documents reviewed by the Physicians Committee reveal a systematic disregard for the Animal Welfare Act regulations by UC Davis and Neuralink personnel. The carelessness by these facilities resulted in the suffering and death of several monkeys. 
We believe that this situation warrants a serious investigation by the USDA. The report also includes many figures, including necropsy reports, which is basically the same thing as autopsy reports, but for animals. One example is shown on page 168. This particular report says the final diagnosis has no remarkable findings and that there was no evidence of inflammation or infection in the sections of the skull examined. This page, 217, shows monkey vitals and blood work. This page, 234, shows observations of an implanted monkey days after the surgery was performed. They note that the animal is active in the cage and eating treats and has a stable cranial implant. A couple days later, they note a small amount of scabbing, but no swelling or superficial reddening of the skin. Almost all of the rest of the report includes similar documentation and record keeping. Also, it's important to note that the accusations about animal mistreatment come from a group who opposes any use of animals in research. The bell curve of people's feelings about animal testing ranges from utter disgust to full support, and this group happens to land at the tail end of the curve. Although most people fall elsewhere on the bell curve, anyone who just reads the headlines of the articles that came out in February begins to have a worse perception of how Neuralink treats its animals. For example, Fortune, a generally respectable global media organization, published an article with this title, Musk brain chip company Neuralink admits to killing eight monkeys in experiments. Now, without any knowledge of the background of the story, it's easy for someone to read this headline and automatically support the PCRM group in requesting that Neuralink stop animal testing. This is unfortunate because Neuralink's aspirations are so positive. So with these claims being made about Neuralink, it's again worthwhile to keep these longer-term goals of the team in mind. One, to help solve neurological issues, and two, minimize bad outcomes related to AI. Most would agree the potential positive impact this technology could have for humans and animals justifies testing on dead animals, then other animals, and humans. When any person, group, company, or organization is aspiring to advance novel medical devices and treatments, they must test in animals before ethically being trialed in humans. The robot performing the surgery, the threads and link being implanted are new, and therefore the alternative to testing in humans is either animals or not testing at all. One specific section I noticed that demonstrates this animal testing is being conducted in what I personally believe to be a logical manner is on page 48, which states UC Davis's protocol for muscle retraction and cutting. It states, our goal is to allow the muscle to attach around the implant and not over the implant to achieve better wireless data telemetry and or charging. We outline three possible approaches in order of increasing invasiveness. We will pilot these options first in cadaver, followed by terminal surgery before survival surgeries, to be approved by a subsequent amendment. Option number one, retract muscle for electrode insertion and allow it to bunch up around the implant during skin closure. If muscle bunches over more than one third of the implant, we will proceed with option number two. And option number two is alternatively, we may split the muscle fibers with a medial to lateral incision so that the muscle will attach down to the bone and not overlay on top of the implant. Option three, as a last resort, we will excise the portion of the muscle covering the craniotomy location in consultation with the vet staff. Do you agree with me that it makes sense to test these devices in dead monkeys, then handicapped monkeys, then humans, while also starting with the least invasive approaches? 
let me know. I read all the comments. Fortunately, a few days after the article started to get mainstream media attention, Neuralink released a blog post detailing their commitment to animal welfare. In 2017, Neuralink partnered with the University of California at Davis's prestigious California National Primate Research Center to conduct animal-based research. Surgeries were performed on cadavers, or already dead monkeys. After they showed they had some success, they moved on to monkeys who were deemed by the veterinary staff to be healthy enough for one anesthetic event, but it may not have proper quality of life due to a pre-existing condition. Performing initial surgeries on cadavers and terminal procedures ensures that an animal does not potentially suffer post-operatively in the event the test procedure has an unexpected result. Of course, if something happens to go wrong with the procedure, it's much less bad to find that out by testing on an already dead monkey versus a living monkey. Now, recall when I mentioned the use of bioglue earlier in the episode? This is Neuralink's response. Six animals were euthanized at the medical advice of the veterinary staff at UC Davis. These reasons included one surgical complication involving the use of the FDA-approved product BioGlue, one device failure, and four suspected device-associated infections, a risk inherent with any percutaneous medical device. In response, we designed new surgical protocols and a fully implanted device design for future surgeries. So BioGlue is an FDA-approved product, and there was one surgical complication related to use of it. It's also noteworthy that Neuralink is saying they've taken action to develop new surgical protocols and a fully implanted device design for future surgeries. This could also decrease the likelihood of infection. I also didn't include a statement that was made by the PCRM about monkeys having missing digits or fingers and toes. Neuralink says that these monkeys often have missing digits prior to receiving them in the first place. The missing digits are often as a result of resolving conflict through aggressive interactions with one another. Watch this clip of how aggressive they can get. Monkeys fight dirty. Slapping and grabbing. They can break fingers and snap tails. Neuralink specifically says, no such injuries occurred at any time to animals housed at UC Davis while part of Neuralink's project. The key takeaways from the rest of the blog posts include the following. Number one, Neuralink is absolutely committed to working with animals in the most humane and ethical way possible. Two, no loss of finger or toe injuries occurred at any time to animals housed at UC Davis while part of Neuralink's project. Three, Neuralink has never received a citation from the United States Department of Agriculture, inspections of their facilities and animal care program. Four, if an animal chooses not to participate in a training task, they are never forced to do so. And five, Neuralink has worked relentlessly to do away with restraints entirely and minimize the time needed engaging in a task to obtain optimal data. The processes in place for ensuring adequate animal safety are very stringent. Animals are cared for and are trained via the technique of positive reinforcement. Specifically, if an animal chooses not to participate in a task, they are never forced to do so. Neuralink referenced this in a video from the summer of 2020. It's totally amazing to see what they're able to do with training, all with positive reinforcement. Positive reinforcement is where you offer an animal an opportunity to form a behavior and be rewarded for it if they choose to participate in it. We do give them the option of not participating. We'll do reinforcement preference testing. 
And if you look into any other field where animals are looked at, whether that's the food industry, the pet industry, you're not going to find any other area where there's a multiple dedicated veterinarians, veterinary technicians, animal care, behaviorists, all looking at animal every single day. Neuralink continues to go above and beyond. As of 2022, the company is privileged to have the resources and support to set up something very different and new. They state that their central mission is to design an animal care program prioritizing the needs of the animals, rather than the typical strategy of building for human convenience alone. In 2020, they opened a 6,000 square foot vivarium housing farm animals and rhesus macaques. The vivarium is staffed with caretakers who are passionate about animal well-being, which is a central tenet of Neuralink's philosophy. You can see in this picture some of the structural enrichments, which include swings, pools, branches, tree houses, and tunnels. These spaces provide ample space for animals to play alongside numerous Neuralink animal caretakers. In addition to this space, the company promotes a culture of animal welfare advocacy by ensuring all employees have the opportunity to meet with the animals and spend time with them alongside a trained animal care specialist. This investment in positive human-animal interactions encourages people to take that extra step to ensure their devices are designed to prioritize animal safety. They continue to add examples of how they exceed standards in the following domains. In housing, there's a 15,000% increase in space available to animals over the industry standard. And when it comes to care, there's a dedicated team of veterinarians, veterinary technicians, behaviorists, enrichment technicians, and animal care specialists who provide positive reinforcement training and around-the-clock care for animals. When it comes to diet, instead of just biscuits, Neuralink monkeys are also fed fresh fruits, vegetables, juices, and smoothies. Here's a picture showcasing that a variety of nutritional produce is part of animal diets at Neuralink. When it comes to motivating animals, the team does not practice water and food restriction, which are common strategies used in medical research to motivate animals to perform behavioral tasks. Instead, a diverse diet with novel food items are used to encourage the animals. When it comes to restraint devices, restraints are typically acceptable. However, at Neuralink, they've worked relentlessly to do away with restraints entirely and minimize the time needed engaging in a task to obtain optimal data. Then when it comes to activity budgets, Neuralink employs staff trained in behavioral analysis to help the animal predict its day and assess choices about that day. Here's a picture of a Neuralink pig named Gertie who shows off a leaf she found on her morning stroll. When it comes to data collection, by carefully observing the animal's behavior in the laboratory, the team can identify when an animal is uncomfortable. Appropriate adjustments can be made due to the thorough attentiveness and data collection. And when it comes to retirement, Neuralink retired several macaques to a sanctuary last March because they consistently chose to spend their day swimming in their pools, foraging, and relaxing in their hammocks rather than attending the game that was presented to them. Their brand new enclosures and sanctuary costs were fully funded by Neuralink. This is the final concluding statement on the blog post. We will always strive to surpass the industry standard and never stop asking ourselves, can we do better for the animals? And never forget, it is a privilege to work with the animals in research. It is our responsibility as caretakers to ensure that their experience is as peaceful and frankly, as joyful as possible. Here's a picture of the Neuralink monkeys Ranger and Alloy playing. 
Neuralink has gone so far as to even make sure that they're not just complying with standards, but also leading and setting an example with regards to animal care. Here is a statement from the Neuralink website. Additionally, we recently applied for and received accreditation by the Association for the Assessment and Accreditation of Laboratory Animal Care, or AAALAC International, a voluntary international agency accrediting excellence in animal care. Our AAALAC accreditation further highlights that everything we do here at Neuralink not only meets but exceeds the standards set in the Animal Welfare Act regulations as well as the Guide for the Care and Use of Laboratory Animals. Listen to Autumn of the Nerling Animal Care Team and a couple engineers speak about the animals back in August 2020. We want to be more kind. We want to be more humane. People coming into the field now are really pushing that. I'm one of the people who makes the devices using my hands. I'm constantly thinking that this is going to go into Barbara, or this is going to go into Cleo, and we know their names. We've seen them. Our animal behavior team is fantastic. My job so much better because I can rely on their expertise. One of my jobs is to help design behavioral plans and training plans for the animals that we use in behavioral research. Make sure that the spaces that they're in are comfortable and designed in such a way to express that full behavioral repertoire. Neuralink is not some arbitrary faceless entity that makes decisions in a bubble. Instead, the company is a group of people. There are around 250 people who are motivated by the mission to help people with neurological diseases. Many of them probably have animals as pets, or would like to spend more time with animals. Assuming they'd collectively want to harm or are indifferent to harming animals doesn't add up. This is more discussion from another Neuralink animal care team member, Sam. Oversee all facets of the animal care program, from the day-to-day -day husbandry, food, water, provisions for these animals, to ensure that these animals are always looked after to the best of our ability. So we actually have a committee here that we've developed that meets regularly, talks about ways that we can try to prevent compassion fatigue so that every day when we come in, we have the energy that we need to provide good, loving compassion to the animals that we work with. Like with practically everything at Tesla and SpaceX, Neuralink appears to lead across the board. This is no different when it comes to animal care and safety. And like I mentioned earlier, team members are often personally motivated by Neuralink's compassionate initial mission of helping people with neurological diseases. I got into this field probably as an inspiration for my sister who is on the autism spectrum. It made me look at all life forms that were struggling and challenged to have their own voice heard. And so I wanted to be in a position where I could bridge that opportunity to communicate with the world. I really feel that Neuralink supports animal welfare and allows us to have a voice for them. I feel really proud that I get to be part of making their lives in that contribution better. What excites you about? Is it the big long-term philosophical things? Is it the, the practical things? Do you think it's super difficult to do on the neurosurgery side and the material engineering, the robotic side? Or do you think um, the machine learning side for the brain-computer interfaces, where they get to learn about each other, all that kind of stuff? I would just love to get your thoughts because you're one of the people that really considered this problem, really studied it, our yeah. brain-computer interfaces. I mean, I'm super excited about it. Um, it's a... I really think it's actually Elon's most ambitious thing, more than colonizing Mars, because that's just a bunch of people going somewhere, even though it's somewhere far. Neuralink is changing what a person is. This is not the first time someone who's very knowledgeable about Elon's projects 
has talked about how excited they are about Neuralink. In this clip last year from Warren Rudlick's channel, James Dalma responded to my question about which Elon Musk founded company he's most excited about. He first states he needs a time frame over which to be excited about, then elaborates on why Tesla's super exciting, then says this. There's, there are other time frames where I think uh where I think that you know SpaceX is super exciting, kind of this medium turnaround. If I have to say in the long run, like what really moves the dial? Like what's the thing that changes the nature of human existence? Well, yeah, that's Neuralink, right? Yeah. It's just like long-term in terms of the potential for uh, changing the human experience, like, you know, there's nothing that compares to Neuralink. It, it'll, it, you know, scaled up, if they achieve their ambition, it completely redefines what it means to be human. Now back to Tim and Lex. I, I think that Neuralink engineers and Elon himself would all be the first to admit that it is a maybe that whether they, whether they can do their goals here. I mean, mm -hmm. it is so crazy ambitious to try to, I mean, their eventual goals are, you know, of course, in the, in the interim, they have a higher probability of accomplishing smaller things, which are still huge, like basically solving paralysis, mm -hmm. uh, you know, strokes, Parkinson, things like that. I mean, it can be unbelievable. And, you know, anyone who doesn't have one of these things, like we might, you know, we should, everyone should be very happy about um, th this kind of um, helping with diff different disabilities. The long-term goals of Neuralink are to number one, solve important brain and spine problems with a seamlessly implanted device. And two, Develop a high bandwidth interface because when it comes to AI, if you can't beat them, join them. Achieving this first goal could produce a depth of positive impact that I believe is only comparable to something like a pacemaker. Having a fantastic, fun car that helps transition the world to sustainable energy a little bit quicker is something that I support, but Neuralink could give new life to a person and their family and friends. How cool is that? Um, but the thing that is like so... The, the grand goal is this augmentation where it's you take someone who's totally healthy and you put a brain machine interface in any way to give them superpowers. Um, I, you know, it's the, the possibilities if they can do this, if they can really. So, you know, they've already shown that they, they are for real with, you know, they've created this robot. Elon talks about like, it should be like LASIK where yeah. it's not, it shouldn't be something that needs a surgeon. This shouldn't just be for, Rich people who have waited in line for six months. It should be for anyone who can afford LASIK and eventually, hopefully, something that isn't covered by insurance or you know, something that anyone can do. Um, something this big a deal should be something that anyone can afford eventually. This approach of trying to achieve widespread adoption of their product is the same that Tesla has taken in that Tesla has worked to drive down the cost of their vehicles and thereby make them more accessible. Likewise, Neuralink is aspiring to drive down the cost of their surgery and make it widely available. Elon's mentioned this in the past, that the team is aspiring to have their robot perform the entire surgery. Here's what he said. And we actually ultimately want this robot to do uh, essentially the entire surgery. Uh, so in, in everything from, from in, incision, uh, removing the, the skull, inserting the electrodes, placing the device, um, and then um, closing things up and having you ready to, to leave. So we want to have a fully automated system. Continuing the comparison to LASIK, the eye surgery would not be as scalable of a procedure without a highly advanced machine. Neuralink wants to scale the surgery up to millions of patients, and there simply wouldn't be enough neurosurgeons in the world if they had to take the time and perform every surgery manually. Additionally, being able to insert the electrode threads would not be possible without the robot anyway. 
A few months later in the interview, Tim and Lex discussed positive impacts of AI. Now the AI can go to town. Think about when the AI gets really good at this and it knows your genome and it knows it can just, I want the AI to just tell me what to do. When it turns up, okay, for, for what he, so how about this? Now imagine attaching that to a meal service, right? And the meal service has everything, you know, all the you know million ingredients and supplements and vitamins and everything. And I, I give the, I, t- I tell the AI my broad goals. I want to gain muscle or I want to, you know, maintain my weight, but I want to have more energy or whatever. I just want, or I want to, you know, I just want to be very healthy. And I want to, obviously everyone wants the same, like 10 basic things. Like you want to avoid cancer. You want to, you know, various things. You want to age slower. So now the AI has my goals and a drone comes at, you know, it's, it's, it's a little thing pops up and this is like, you know, beep, beep, like, you know, 15 minutes you're going to eat because yeah. it knows that's a great, that's the right time for my body to eat. 15 minutes later, a little slot opens in my wall where a drone has come from the factory, the eating the food factory and dropped the perfect meal for my, that moment for me, mm-hmm. for my mood, for my genome, for my blood contents. And it's, it's because it knows my goals. So, you know, it knows I want to feel energy at this time. And then I want to wind down here. So I, it, those things you have to tell it. Well, plus the pleasure thing, like it knows what kind of components of a meal you've enjoyed in the past. So you can assemble the perfect exactly. meal. Exactly. It taste. knows you way better than you know yourself, yeah. better than any human could ever know you. And it, a little thing pops up. You still have, you still have some choice, right? It still, it pops up and it says like, you know, coffee, uh, because it knows that, you know, they, my cutoff, they says, you know, I, I can have coffee for the next 15 minutes only because at that point it knows how long it stays in my system. It knows what my sleep is like when I have it too late. It knows I have to wake up at this time tomorrow because that's my calendar. Uh, and so I think a lot of people's, this is, a, I think something that humans are wrong about is that most people will hear this and be like, that sounds awful. That yeah. sounds dystopian. No, it doesn't. It sounds incredible. And if we all had this, we would not look back and be like, I wish I was like making awful choices every day. Like I was in the past. Similar to how Tim feels about AI, I suspect the same will happen with Neuralink. There are plenty of people who think Neuralink will lead to a dystopian future where everyone would prefer to go back to how things used to be. Although I can see some circumstances that would lead to bad outcomes, the net outcome for society having widespread adoption of Neuralinks or other high bandwidth brain machine interfaces would be overwhelmingly positive. How much better off is the world because the internet exists? Um, and then. This isn't, these aren't important decisions. Your, your important decision-making energy, your important focus and your attention can go on to your kids and on your work and on, you know, helping other people and at things that matter. And, and, and so I think AI can, I think when I think about like personal lifestyle stuff like that, I really love, like, I, I love thinking about that. I think it's going to be very, and I think we'll all be so much healthier. The, 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 when we look back today, one of the things that's going to look so primitive is the one size fits all thing. You're getting like yes. reading advice about keto. Um, yeah. <laughs> each genome is going to have very specific one, you know, unique advice coming from AI. And so, yeah. Yeah. The customization that's enabled by collection of data and uh, the use of AI. A lot of people think what's the, like they think of the worst case scenario of that data being used by authoritarian governments to control you, all that kind of stuff. They don't think about most likely, especially in a capitalist society, it's most likely going to be uh, used as part of a competition to get you the most delicious and healthy meal possible as fast exactly. as possible. Yeah, so the world will definitely be much better with the integration of data. But of course, you wanna be able to uh, be transparent and honest about how that data is misused, and that's why you, it's important to have free speech and people to speak out, like when some bullshit is being done by companies. 
The risks associated with a surgically implanted device, whether real and or perceived, are not justifiable for some people. For those of you interested in a non-invasive wearable headset or brain interface, I'm happy to share that Omar and I visited Colonel's headquarters and experienced their headset, Flow. If you're in Southern California, we'll soon share how you can experience Flow firsthand. That video should be coming out next, so make sure to subscribe for that. If you're one of the folks who prefer the non-invasive brain interface approach, it's worth paying attention to the work that Kernel is doing with their wearable brain interface helmet called Flow. The team has the aspiration of getting Flow into at least 1 million households, and they're making progress on doing just that. During our visit to headquarters, I got to use Flow and scan my brain activity while playing a first-person shooter video game. And now you can have the opportunity to come to headquarters in LA and get your brain scanned as well. Like I mentioned earlier, you are now able to experience Flow firsthand. I felt that trying Flow was a win-win experience for Colonel and I as I got to learn more about my brain activity while adding an additional participant to their gaming study. If you're in the LA area, here are the three studies that are open. First, there's the gaming study that I did, which is a 30-minute session where you play a target practice game. There's also an attention study, which is 13 visits around 60 minutes per session and you can be compensated up to $700. There's also an emotion study, which is two to 10 visits of 60 minutes per session, for which you'd be compensated $25 per visit. And there's one more study coming soon. Colonel has received FDA authorization to measure ketamine's psychedelic effect on the brain using Colonel Flow with their partner, Cybin. This seems like a unique study to me. The study would help the team explore the possibilities of psychedelic therapeutics before during and after a psychedelic experience. Prior to this, patient reporting has been subjective, but the study would align with Colonel's mission of brain measurement by helping to quantify the effects of the therapeutics. Last month, Joe Rogan interviewed Mr. Beast, who's among the top most subscribed YouTubers in the world. Although Mr. Beast is known for his entertaining videos and oversized giveaways, the two superstars ended up discussing Neuralink and artificial intelligence for around 15 minutes. The first part of the discussion opens with Joe praising the work the Neuralink team is doing. He says, It's very complicated because the first steps about it are really undeniably important. Because the first steps about it are reconnecting people's spinal cords, the first way that it's going to be implemented is people that have severe spinal cord injuries, so someone who has an injury like that they'll be able to do something where this implant interfaces with the brain and somehow or another can control the nerves or activate parts of the body. I'm not exactly sure how it's done, but it's going to allow people that are paralyzed to walk, which is an undeniably amazing thing. There's no ethical questions about that. The ethical questions arise when you realize that you're going to be putting this quarter-sized hole in someone's head, and then you're going to put wires into their brain and it's gonna change the way human beings interface with information. This is his words. It's gonna increase your bandwidth to, to, your, to your access to information and you're gonna be able to talk without words. Joe continues on by considering how a future with Neuralink could unfold. He suggests our future could play out in a similar way to the adoption of smartphones. He says, it changed lives so quickly. It went from 1990, almost no one had a phone, to 2020, everyone has a cell phone to what it is 20, 30 years from now? When does this new technology get implemented and completely change the way human beings communicate with each other? I don't think it's gonna be that far away, man. I think once it gets going, 
The problem is, the way Elon was explaining it, you're going to have such a competitive advantage if you have this chip, if you have this Neuralink, this setup. Mr. Beast then adds that you could just get a loan to pay for the Neuralink, which is something Elon mentioned at the initial Neuralink launch event back in 2019. Well, um, I, I think that uh, the, the, the cost of, of these um, uh, you know, brain disease or brain injuries is, ex is extremely high to society. Um, if you have to take care of somebody or, or they, they need, if they need uh, comprehensive medical care or hospice, th this is actually very, very costly to society. So I think um, it, 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 the economics of, of solving for that make a ton of sense. Um, and if you enable somebody to, uh, you know, work and, and be a productive, uh, you know, it could, you know, contribute to the economy, I think uh, th that that will, I think that the economics of that will, will easily uh, pay for itself. Um, and, and then uh, in the limit, of course, if, if you want to uh, be sympathetic with, with AI, it'd be like, I think it's safe to say you could repay the loan. Uh, with superhuman intelligence. Um, I think it's a safe bet. So I, I think the economics of this will, will, will work out. Um, and the first order is, is really just to make sure that, that it works and works safely. Um, and then um, and then I think it'll really be the, the option of, of, of the person. Um, Joe Rogan adds, well, not just that, but you know, we've always had this problem where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. What happens from the haves and have-nots once the haves have a fucking Neuralink, and now they have literally an infinity pill that they're taking, and then out of nowhere they have incredible access to information. Yeah. If we could, if, if you could do that electronically, where you're not juicing yourself up with amphetamines, but instead you're enhancing all the capabilities of your entire neural network. Yeah, crazy, bro. We're gonna be robots. We're gonna be cyber people. The link to the full video is in the description. Tesla's Master Plan Part 3 could include a section about Neuralink. On March 20th, Elon shared this. Main Tesla subjects will be scaling to extreme size, which is needed to shift humanity away from fossil fuels and AI. But I will also include sections about SpaceX, Tesla, and the Boring Company. Given that Elon has previously teased a potential merging of Tesla, SpaceX, Neuralink, and the Boring Company to form a company called X, it wouldn't be that unexpected to have Neuralink mentioned in this mix as well. Given that there could be longer-term synergies between Tesla's Optimus bot and Neuralink, it's possible that Elon just wrote a typo here and intended to say he would include sections about SpaceX, Neuralink, and The Boring Company, in addition to Tesla's core goals. We did a more in-depth video about what Company X could look like, and that video is linked here. Here's an update on Neuralink's employee count, LinkedIn followers, and Twitter followers. As always, Neuralink continues to hire excellent talent. Open roles include almost all types of software engineering, HR positions, a clinical trial director position, and a general application for anyone super passionate about Neuralink's mission. Likewise, the non-invasive brain interface company Kernel is also looking to hire. Some roles you might be interested in include Director of Software Engineering for Cloud API, a Senior UI Software Engineer, or Technical Experience Designer. Hey everyone, my name is Ryan Tanaka. Thank you for watching this episode. Now this is completely separate from Neuropod, 
but I wanted to share that I've founded a company with a goal of enabling retirees to do consulting work as easily as possible. My company is called Returns, and my website, www.returns.com, is perfect for retirees who are now looking to share some of the knowledge and experience that they've accumulated during their professional careers while getting paid for it. During my internship experiences, I had the good fortune of being able to work alongside some experienced old folks in corner offices. One of those people was an engineer who originally worked for the city of San Diego. He retired for just a few months before realizing he was really bored. Things worked out well as he ended up joining the company that I was at to help lead some major projects. I want to make it as simple as possible for retirees like him to maintain a flexible schedule, designate his or her own wage, and use the skills built up over his or her career. The process for signing up is simple. Retirees fill out basic information like their name, the industry that they worked in, and then they write a little blurb about their work experience. After submitting the profile, I'll review it to make sure that things are completed in an appropriate manner. So my request to you is if you or anyone you know would be interested in signing up, please have them do so. I'm working on increasing the number of available consulting opportunities, and these difficult-to-get conversations with companies become significantly easier as more retirees sign up. I know this is not what you'd expect at the end of a video like this, so thanks again, and hope to catch you at the next episode.